0: I'm Owen Vaughan Williams and this is Coleman Had a Dream podcast.
1: So today Ruth and I have interviewed Owen oh, Vaughan-Williams um, he has played for a huge variety of clubs in English football, he's played in Scottish football and now he's over here uh, playing for India 11, he's played for Crewe, Stockport, Bury, Rochdale, Tranmere and Inverness, Caledonian, Thistle um, as well as the India 11 as I just mentioned in Indiana. He's also played through all of the Wales ages, 17s, 19s, 21s and he got his one cap for Wales against Holland. This was a brilliant interview. He, he talks very broadly, openly about Wales in the year 2016. He's talked about how he got into football at crew through Dario Gradi and how his career developed and how he's made the move across to Indiana for, uh, for his current loan spell. He's also talked with us about his paintings uh, and what he sees himself doing in life after football. I hope you enjoy listening to this. Hello and welcome to the Coleman Had A Dream podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. We have Owen Vaughan-Williams. I'm here with Ruth. Hello. And obviously here with Owen as well. Hello, how are you both doing? Very good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, So in looking through your club career... Uh, it's quite a quite a varied mix. Growing up, youth football at Crew Alexandra, then moving on to Stockport, Berry, Rochdale, which is where my grandma and granddad live, um, Tranmere, and obviously Inverness, and out, out out here to America now.
2: So I wanted to ask you, Owen, about your sort of early experiences in terms of mentors and and how a young lad from Penygroes sort of ends up. Being a crew and just that process, and what must have been a very difficult decision as a sixteen-year-old to to move away from home.
0: Yeah, it was very difficult. You know, I'm, I was brought up in uh, Penagrois, uh, uh, the Drefenniansa area, uh, which is a very Welsh kind of uh, pocket of Wales in a way. Um, my first language was Welsh, and I probably couldn't speak much English until I left school at sixteen. When I joined the uh, crew Alexander, but during that time, um, while I was in school, I was lucky enough to be picked up by a scout uh, for Manchester United and Wales, Dave Nicholas. Um, he was at one of the uh, one of the games, and he picked me up. and I used to used to go to Manchester United uh, during the school holidays to train uh, because at that time, and I still think it's the same now. Uh, as a schoolboy you couldn't join a club unless you lived within an hour and a half of a club or something along those lines um so i i used to go to manu during my um school holidays um, whether it was christmas easter or the summer whatever it was and then obviously when i turned 16 um i joined with crew of alexander i did have the the choice to join liverpool um but I, I thought um, the, the best thing to do at that time was to, to join crew Alexandra that was in the championship and um, daria Gradi had a, a, a good reputation of developing young young players uh, and giving him an opportunity to, to, to go on and further their career and my father and I and my family uh, thought that that was the the best thing to do because I don't know if you remember but um, at that time Liverpool um, they went crazy signing uh, different goalkeepers. I think they had like Besteveld there, um, and a couple of other uh, big name goalkeepers. Yeah. And then and then that summer, I remember they signed like Kirkland and Jersey Dudek and, and, and a lot of other players as well.
1: Yeah.
0: It was um, after that, my father and my my family. We all decided, you know, if Liverpool want a goalkeeper, that they're, they're gonna go ahead and. And, uh, and buy one. and That's why we decided to head to Gresti Road instead.
2: Were you, were you always a goalkeeper, Owen? Oh, I, I know I, I was reading that you have older brothers. Were you like the little lad that was forced into <laughs> goal?
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of was. I kind of was bullied into being a goalkeeper, wasn't I? But um, I'm one of three. I've got two uh, older brothers. Um, and obviously, being the youngest, I always want to play with them. Uh, and their friends, and obviously, if I was wanted to do that, I had to go in goal. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, out of being bullying in a way, I've, I've managed to kind of uh, uh, stay in goal, and, and that's where I've always played. I've never played anywhere else but in goal.
1: After after leaving Crewe and moving to Stockport County, um, obviously moved around a little bit in the in the years after that, into Bury and Rochdale and stuff. Um, what did you enjoy most about those playing at those clubs?
0: Well, I initially moved because while I was at Crewe, being in the well set-up with the under-21s, we had a really good spell and we, and we did really well under Brian Fled. Yeah. Um, there was a good group of us that um, were, we were all lucky enough to, to kind of further our career with, with clubs and playing in the league and, and also playing for the national team. Um, but we really had a good team. So I decided then to move from Crew because I wanted first team football, um, something I really wasn't given at Crew because, uh, um, sadly, the manager I later discovered could only look one way, and he wanted the uh, he was really good at developing the strikers, and yeah, um, yeah Crew had never developed a goalkeeper, right. and never never really invested in a goalkeeper coach or anything like that, so. I really wanted to to play first-team football and I I thought um, the best thing for me at that time was to join Stockport County in League One and establish myself as a number one and trying to get as many games under my belt as I could because I do believe you can train all you want but there's nothing that comes close to playing and learning that way. You're only going to learn from playing and making mistakes and and learning about the game and about yourself as well Um, because, as I say, you can train... From Monday to Friday, and and it's just training, and uh, nothing really matters. But uh, th- there's nothing more important than training Monday to Friday. And knowing all that work is going to get, you know, is, will be paid off by, by playing ninety minutes on a Saturday.
1: You you mentioned there the under twenty ones. Um, I, l- I listened to Simon Church podcast recently with Owen oh, Tudor Jones, and he was talking about that that team as well. Um, was part of your decision maybe his good stock, but he said that he felt he was starting to break into the Reading side at the time, and he was starting to play first team football every week. And there were others like Alan uh, and Rambo and stuff like that. Th- them obviously moving, trying to make the move toward the senior team as well. Was that part of your decision?
0: Yeah, I mean, of course, as a boy, you know, all I wanted to do was to play for my country, nothing else. Um, yeah. uh, you know, my background, it wasn't. That I wanted to be successful at a club team so much. Of course, I wanted, you know. But the initial dream of a youngster in Wales is to put the Welsh jersey on and to represent Wales. That's all that matters. So, of course, I wanted to be involved with the seniors. Um, but when you are twenty twenty-one, the seniors can be a you know a long way away. Yeah. So, the most important thing. I believe, to any youngster is to try and get that, the next contract and to try and play as many games as you can to earn that next contract and the one, the next after that and then eventually the seniors call-up will come yeah. once you've sort of secured yourself as a professional football, footballer.
2: I wanted to ask a little bit more about that under-21 squad that you were involved with, um, particularly, you know, that playoff run in the the games against England, for example, that game now, those those that series is often looked at as a very pivotal point in in terms of what happened next for the for the senior team. Did it feel like that at the time, Owen?
0: Yeah, it was a you know, it feels like a, a long, long time ago <laughs> now. Um, well, it is, I think, isn't it? It's about ten years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, we had some good it's good memories from from those trips away and. You know, you look back at some of the performances and the results. I remember now, just top of my head now, um, beating France, I think it was 4 1 in Cardiff. Yeah. Um, You know, and and you look at the French team, you know, most of them are are playing at the very highest level right now, um, or have done. Um, And I think we only, you know, just about lost to them, I believe, away. Think that was an on-goal, if I remember correctly. But, um, you know, all of it under Brian Flynn, I remember, uh, that brought a lot of us together. Um, and we were good friends, you know, and maybe that played a key yeah. part to, you know, to, to what happened to the seniors eventually when um, it was a good crop of us. Um, and, you know, we were all together kind of with the, with the seniors as well later on after the, uh, the under-21s. But um, the, the England game, uh, we played them at home to start off with, and obviously, then at villa park um it didn't go our way, but um as players and as people, I'm sure we all um learnt a lot from that those two games and, you know and from from us as players and people as well um as I say, it didn't go our way, but um what doesn't kill you makes you strong, i suppose
1: absolutely i I was at that game like I, I remember going to the home game and there was a real feeling at the time, because the, the senior team hadn't been doing so well. There was a real feeling at the time, I thought, that something was starting to kind of finally happen, if you like. And being able to be excited about Wales, maybe going to a tournament, be at the under-21s. Um, did it feel like that there was a movement happening, like something was really special, was just about to begin?
0: Yes, definitely. Um, I really felt that. Um, because uh, initially we were playing in... in uh, Cardiff in uh, in Wrexham, sorry, yeah, in, in the race course and playing there, uh, and then uh, we were getting more and more crowds coming to to watch us. Uh, the later, you know, the the more we were winning, and and um, the further we were going, and the closer we were getting up, you know, to qualify. Um, and obviously, then we, we 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 played France and we played England in Cardiff, um, and obviously the the, the crowd that turned out the support we had was phenomenal and something we saw with the with the seniors obviously as you say maybe things weren't as as well with the seniors at that time the yeah. crowds weren't there but um certainly the crowds are there now which is good <laughs> and that's the main thing
1: absolutely
2: <laughs> could you talk a little bit more right, about that sort of transition through the sort of the, like Wales under-17s, 19s, 21s, Brian Flynn's influence and, and the notion of a, a Welsh way and a Welsh track.
0: Yeah, well, I remember um, Brian Flynn, he met up with me in uh, the training ground in Crewe once and he said to me, my dream is to, is to have a Welsh team in the World Cup in Brazil. That was his dream. That was his vision, I remember him saying. Now, yeah. that was... In, that was obviously before um, the campaign for the under twenty one started, and the World Cup in Brazil was uh, two thousand and fourteen. Wasn't the la- two thousand and fourteen? And did he say? Yeah, yeah, was it? Yeah. So that was his vision. He wanted um, Wales to be in that World Cup, um, and he said that to me in I don't know. So when would it have been? So two thousand and eight, two thousand and seven. Yeah. Um, so he wasn't far off it. I was going to say he was
1: pretty close. Only two years out, I'll take that.
0: So he was two years out, yeah. So um, that was his dream, that was his vision. So under 17s and, and, and you know the, all the youth ages, it was kind of. I think it's changed quite a lot now, but certainly when Brian Flynn got hold of kind of the youth setup, um, I think it was kind of. In the 19s, maybe in the 21s, yeah. where I had him as a manager, he kind of reshaped it a little bit. Um, and of course, what Oshan's doing now, he's doing a superb job in, in moulding Welsh football um, to make sure when players are required to join the, the senior squad, they're, they're more than ready and they're capable, and they know exactly what's required. And, and you know, you see that from camp to camp, players are coming in. Um, whether it's just for training or whether it's you know joining the squad, and um, they're stepping in and you know they're ready for it because they have been kind of bred into it by O'Shan and his philosophy and, and you know
1: what, how he does things. It's interesting you used to say. I mentioned O'Shan there. We interviewed uh, a, a kid called Josh Frankham who plays for Wales in the seventeens, sixteens, yeah. um, and he talked about his experience with O'Shan and what an influence he's been. And often, you know, we we often talk about the Welsh way in that sort of context as well. Was that sort of Welsh way, that style of playing, was that something that was impressed on on you as a squad then as well?
0: Yeah, obviously it was slightly different because it was obviously Brian Flynn's way back then. So it was slightly different. But um, certainly once I joined with the seniors, obviously it was the Welsh way then, I think. uh, and certainly um Ocean had a big part in that in in developing the you know ha- how every single age team age group wanted to play uh, and how to play and it is the welsh way
1: yeah absolutely i mean talking about that welsh way you you're quite one of a, a unique group i guess who were who were part of the whole journey of Welsh football get into the euros in two thousand and sixteen. obviously, you were around with Flynn and then Toshak, obviously then Gary Speed and then on to Chris Coleman as well and it 's quite a broad question, I guess, but what do you think were like the big differences the big like key development points, I guess if you like, from where it went from Toshak blood in the youngsters to obviously speed doing more behind the scenes with the technical stuff, and then obviously Coleman getting you across the line
0: yeah, I think everyone brought their own different ways, didn't they? And um, and all helped, in the end, with the success we had. Yeah. Um, you know, over the years, there was a lot of good, and everyone, you know, um, Toshaki gave a lot of the boys an opportunity and a platform to develop and gain experience. And with that experience, that helped us, obviously, in later days, didn't it? You know, you look at someone like Chris Gunter now, who has got... 80 odd caps, is
1: he? Something Uh, odd.
0: Yeah, close, isn't it? You know, there's no doubt he's going to be the record holder. Yeah. And it's because he was given the opportunity. You know, you look at Wayne Hennessy, he's pushing on 80 caps as well, um, you know, or or 70 odd caps. And it's phenomenal to see. These are boys that some of them, Wayne will be 31, Chris Chris Gunter, maybe, I don't know, 28. And he's got, uh, you know, the amount of caps that these guys have got is because they've been given the opportunity. Experience is something you can't buy and you can't give, really. Um, so, so someone like Toshak, he gave the boys a platform and a, a stage to go out then and, and earn that experience. Yeah. Uh, and also to k- kind of keep the boys together. You know, you look—we were speaking about the the 21s team—and it's pretty much that that you know gained that experience that the, the boys that Toshack played, a lot of them. And obviously, Gary Speed. I personally didn't work with Gary Speed, but what he did was phenomenal. He he changed the course, you know, the everything about the FAW, well, a lot of things. And then um, Chris Coleman took over and carried it on, and not just carry it on. Um, what Chris Coleman did was was quite special and quite. It's actually unbelievable what he did, um, and. Um, a phenomenal guy as well to go with that as, as well as being a, a, an unbelievable manager, he was a, an unbelievable
1: guy Everyone I've, any, Anyone I've ever heard talk about Chris Coleman always says the exact same thing, that he is a phenomenal guy, you know, the sort of person you'd run through a brick wall for sort of thing
0: Yeah well he knew Chris Coleman knows what it, what it means to be Welsh, nothing cheap or something you kind of have to buy into because he's he was the national team manager. He knew exactly what it meant to be Welsh, and he made a point of that. You know, we had a couple of boys that weren't Welsh in a way, yeah, but but they were Welsh if you know what I mean. You yeah,
1: know, I understand uh, yeah.
0: But you know, hundred percent they were Welsh. Hundred and ten percent they were Welsh. And Chris Coleman, he kind of made sure of that in a way. He, he really put that across in a way, which is really nice. I know it's, for some it's just a game of football, or, you know, whatever. But for others, it's everything, isn't it? You yeah. know, playing for your country and everything else. And it really was. And you could see that, especially when Chris Coleman on Gary Speed took over. You could see what it meant for players putting that shirt on because it meant so much to play for, for Wales, play for their country.
1: And did do you think like Coleman? Like you said, you didn't work with speed, but and, and Coleman kind of made sure that like everyone knew that as well. I guess that it mattered to play for Wales every game.
0: Yeah, that was that was a big thing, and it is a big thing. But not only just that, that can be just something from the heart. But then you need the brains then to make sure what you do on the on the pitch actually works, and you know what you you do on the training ground. Yeah, matters uh, mir- what you do on the pitch in a way. He had some fantastic coaches with him and people around him. So the the, the squad would come as an email on through the post or whatever and there would be as many staff as there were players pretty much. <laughs> but there was a reason for every single one of them being there. Yeah. And you know, without one then the whole thing wouldn't work. It was quite incredible really that there were so many people and everyone had a had a role to make everything work. You know, I could I could name them all, but yeah. they all had such a, an important part. Um, whether whether it was Kit, whether it was Oshan, uh, Ryland, um, Marge, the goalkeeper coach or yeah. Tony Roberts of late, um, whoever it was, um, I had such a big role to make
1: everything work. Did that happen when he came in, or was that more... I, I, in the the Don't Take Me Home film, they talk about after the, the, the defeat to Serbia in those qualifiers, he said, right, I've got to do things differently, I've got to do things my way. Was that that time when he started to bring lots of staff in and, and do things a bit differently, or was, was that always the setup?
0: Um, maybe with time, he added um, a couple more, but I do believe Gary Speed had changed a lot of things but obviously Chris Coleman put his stamp on, on a lot of things as well um, so yeah I, I, I'm not really sure whether it was then he, he changed the staff or whatever but what he did have he had people like Ian Mitchell next to him um, keeping everyone a really intelligent guy you know if you, if you had any issues you'd go and speak to him um, quietly or, or whatever he, he just knew how to How to make sure the mood was good. Um, I'm sure in the Euros you're well aware of the kangaroo court we had. Um, I was
1: going to come back to that because I definitely uh, want to hear a story about the kangaroo court.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so you know little things like that, but it's big, the big things. Yeah. Um, We had we had, uh, IG, you know, big key people that we had. Um, As I say, I could list them all, and they all would be. As important as as one another, you know. The, yeah. It was just a he just had like an army, uh, and, a, and a, a phenomenal army behind the the boys that were actually on the pitch. And how good were they? You know, they performed yeah. every, every single time. They were uh, fantastic.
2: I wanted to ask you, things as we sort of cycled onto Euro '16 <laughs> here, about yeah. what what was the most sort of striking personal moment for you of that period?
0: do you know what it was just a just a dream wasn't it it was just a (laughs) being in a bubble every you know what no word of a lie I think every single day I wake up and I say to myself you know if only you could go back in time if only you could go back in time because it was just I I actually can't put it into words uh, only recently now you might know I did that exhibition um, yeah uh, for my art thing, and um, I was trying trying to put it put down in words, you know, how to describe that moment, and I really can't because it was just phenomenal, you know. Even even arriving in Bordeaux and waking up that morning, and I remember walking the corridor to, towards uh, towards the restaurant where we. Was, we were going to eat breakfast with Dave Edwards and David Vaughan, and we were looking over, and we could just see the pub across the road getting f- filled with <laughs> red shirts, and we could see the the, the, the red dragon, hang, you know, being hung up, and and the, the, the our our fans, the people of Wales, there starting their day as early as nine o'clock in the morning, <laughs> um, but making the most of it because. You know what? The the biggest hurdle for us was actually getting into the competition because so often in the past we've been so unlucky, haven't we really? And I've been a fan um, and I've been, uh, I used to catch a bus or or go in the car with my father straight from school and down to, um, straight down to Cardiff to watch Wales playing in the past. And, uh, I know what it's, what it's like to be a Welsh fan and obviously it's been tough of late where we haven't qualified um, but to be a part of it was you know, that was just incredible for me personally and for my family um, but to wake up I go back to that so when I woke up, I, I remember asking David Edwards and David Warren asking, where would you prefer to be, right there with the fans or here with us because the fans looked like they were having a hell of a time and <laughs> um, uh, and I go back. Yeah, we we didn't know if we were going to be in the tournament for three games or or longer. Um, but it turned out we were there for uh, quite a bit longer.
1: <laughs> we are very <laughs> grateful for that. Let me tell you, <laughs> oh, very,
0: very, it was quite incredible, really. Um, but yeah, so I remember going, waking up in Bordeaux and seeing all the fans and and, and get, you know stuff that makes your hair stands up, stand up. And, you know, it, it really was. Um, little things that go into the ground, that was special. Um, The police escort going in and out through the cars and the fans. And obviously the anthem in Bordeaux, that was obviously unforgettable as well. Um, Just incredible, the whole thing. It's very difficult to put it into words, but it's quite uh, quite emotional when you you really think about it. and everything floods back to you was um, yeah just a just a moment where a moment where you'd never think it would it would happen. Um, not only for me to be involved, but for me to see my team, my country in a tournament like that.
1: I think we can echo that. Like it's funny you should say that about feeling quite emotional. Sat here listening to you tell you that. Like Ruth and I kind of became friends through this. So like, um, and Ruth is my boss in work so to speak, and we kind of, we've always talked about well football, invited Ruth to have, with a few of us who were going to watch the game that day, and uh, and I, to be honest I like we've talked about before, you almost didn't come I I sort of didn't expect you to come and we're sat there in, in the pub and you know, the anthem's just started and Ruth walks through the door and, and obviously 90 minutes later, we're both you know, sobbing onto each other's shoulders and um, yeah. it was just and that day and for us it, we went to a bar across the road full of England fans as they were playing Russia which we thought at the time might have been a bad decision but of course Russia got the last minute equaliser and it just made <laughs> a good day brilliant so you know yeah. you know, you talk about feeling emotional about it that's certainly how, how we feel about it here as well
0: I think all the emotion we had in the past you know of not qualifying and nearly getting there and everything else I think we had kept that in the back of our mind somewhere, and we just let it go
1: yeah. in
0: that anthem, and it was just like everyone had done the same, and every emotion, happiness, tears, everything came out uh, during that anthem, and um, and people, people, you know, yes, what the boys did on the pitch was phenomenal, but uh, people, the, the world finally knew. What what Wales were like as a as a football team, absolutely, um, and the way the, the way the supporters acted and, and the way the the boys performed on the pitch was to, you know that in itself as well was uh, nice for people to say uh, to see sorry that that's the type of people we are from Wales and that's how we play.
2: What do you think makes a, a team a team I mean What was what was clicking then? that hadn't previously?
0: I don't know. It's a funny one. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's the million-dollar question that every team are searching for, I suppose, isn't it? Um, it's trying to get that balance, the right chemistry on and off the pitch, you know, to, to get the tactics spot on and also to get the personnel right and, and everyone singing off the same hymn sheet. Um, but we had it all. And that's down to Chris Coleman. Um and the staff he picked and the people he had around him to make sure the people he had in, whether they were players or staff, they, they were all um, what he wanted. Um, because at the end of the day, you've got 11 players or 14 players to, to pick from. You've only got, you know, there's only 14 you can put on the pitch during 90 minutes. The rest, you've got, to, uh, you know, the rest are just there to make sure. You, you, you're doing what the team requires of you in a way, but everything in a way. I, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, but what Chris Coleman had, I think you'd have to ask him that. I'd <laughs> love the opportunity if you'd listen.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That makes me think about your, your role, particularly, Owen, because, I mean, it's fair to say you were, you were there as the third goalkeeper. Were there particular. Sort of responsibilities that were given to the players that were less likely to be in that 14. Were there were there slightly different expectations on you?
0: No, not really. I mean, the thing is, no one's branded. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you're gonna go in and oh, you're this or you're that. You go in because you know yourself what you are. Yeah. You know, uh, and you're there because you really want to be there and you really want the guy that's playing ahead of you to be. To do as well and to be as successful as you can, because one, you're going to be his mate, and you're probably going to be a close mate of his.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And secondly, you want to do it because it's your country,
2: yeah,
0: and it's something you have so much passion and drive, and you just want the best. And at the end of the day, we were all friends, whether you played or whether you were a staff. You were friends. It wasn't. It wasn't a. Uh, um, it wasn't just like staff and players. We were all in it together, hence the, the the slogan, Together Stronger. It wasn't a cheap thing that was just, oh, Together Stronger, this, that, whatever. It actually was. We were all in it together. You know, the fans, uh, uh, the the staff celebrated with the players, and the players celebrated with the fans, and that's a massive thing that we had. We really had a bond, and not just a bond. We, You know, it, it really was a, a tight-knit group of people that were there, um, not just for the Euros, but for the campaign as well, for that two years that we all worked hard for to to get to actually get to France. Um, but also the tactics that the staff used, you know, throughout the campaign of the Euros and then the actual the Euros itself, you know, what they did was phenomenal.
1: Talking about the staff and you briefly mentioned the Kangaroo Court, I've, I've heard the Kangaroo Court mentioned a couple of times, and I would love to hear what, one of your best stories about the Kangaroo Court.
0: Oh, the Kangaroo Court was—it um, <laughs> was quite funny. Uh, it just kept everyone on their toes, I suppose. The minute you would uh, let your guard down, you knew you were in trouble, and <laughs> uh, your name was going to get thrown out there to do something. There was a couple of funny things you—and uh, obviously, if you had. Done something wrong, whether it was being late or wore the wrong shirt or whatever, you had to roll the dice and you had a couple of options. Whether it was singing, dancing, what was the other one? Ring someone. I can't remember now top of my head. But it was Ian Mitchell who had organised all this, and yeah, obviously, and and then you had Chris Coleman as the judge, and and the the, the juries would be his staff, and oh, it was just there. It was carnage at the, at, <laughs> at the end of, of, of uh, tea time. <laughs> it was a free-for-all at times, and uh, you'd have to defend for yourself at times. But um, it, it was great, good because it kept everyone on their toes because when we were in the Euros, we were together for, I don't know, about six, seven weeks, whatever. When you're in someone's company 24-7 every single day of the week, it can be a long time. But honestly, no. Being with them, it really didn't feel... Um, like it was actually, you know, really nice to be in e- each other's company because we
1: were so good friends. Yeah. Who did you share a room with? Obviously?
0: We had our own rooms oh, in okay. uh, in France. In France, so yeah. Um, yeah, we, but but on a normal trip, you can choose. You know, if you wanted to share or whatever. Um, but I, I always shared with David Vaughan. Um, I I know Vaughan from my time at Crew, so uh, both of us just share together.
2: What other things would you do in, in downtime on, on the longer trips like that?
0: Well, we had a guitar, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I would get the guitar out now and again, especially if we had uh, uh, a good performance or a win or something, uh, and the guitar would come out after the game and we'd have a little sing-song. Um, a couple of Johnny Cash or whatever, you know, a couple of dunes. But it was good. It was it was good for the chemistry of the boys and the staff and everyone else, and uh, kept us all together. Yeah, and, and kept the spirits kept the spirits high, I suppose. But um, it was all good fun. Um, so yeah, in, in our downtime in in France, so there was there was all sorts there. You know, you, you had a t- um, table tennis, game of pool or something, like darts. Um, but we had a big cinema there three times a day. There would be a game on, so all the yeah. lads would come down and, and watch the game in the, together in the cinema. And uh, Every time someone would go to the press conference, they'd come back with a box of cakes for us.
1: Because
0: um, <laughs> you know what the French are like for, the, the <laughs> for their pastries. cakes and pastries and stuff like that. They, they'd come back with, and more often than not, it would be Gareth Bale. I've
1: heard he has got a very sweet tooth, Gallop. He
0: he does, he does, yeah. And uh, so he'd come back. And it's not like, to be honest with you, it's not like someone's going to tell him, oh, you can't have this or you can't have that. (laughs) So if if Bailo wants a cake, then no one's stopping him. And fair play to him, he used to bring a box, like a box of muffin or something, back to the lads. And we'd we'd all be like scavengers around (laughs) it, trying to get the best ones. Because obviously, when you were in, in camp, you'd be eating as healthy as. As possible, really, um, to prepare your body and to make sure you were recovering and getting the right things into your system, getting ready for the for the next day, whether it was a training or the game or whatever. Um, yeah, so anytime someone would come back with cakes, they'd be gone in in uh, two seconds.
1: Just as a mention of Gareth Bale, there can you put into any sort of context for us, like how how good is Gareth Bale? Because I, if anyone, someone asked me, I'm a Newcastle fan, someone asked me today, if you had to choose between Alan Shearer or Gareth Bale, who would you choose? And I almost cried at the difficulty of the question. But <laughs> uh, the, the, I don't think you can explain, I, as a layman, I can't explain. I can just tell you that I think he's brilliant. Can you? Is there anything that you, like, you can put into context to, to kind of explain how, how good a footballer he is?
0: I don't think anyone, as in
1: a, like a normal
0: person now that plays football now and again, Will ever realise how good a footballer is until they actually stand and, on the same pitch as them. But the problem is Gareth Bale can take the Mick out of actual footballers, and, <laughs> and often the, the boys would say he's actually taking the P out of us here um, <laughs> because he's that good. Yeah. And you know, there's good players. You know, there was good players in the squad, and Gareth Bale is just. He's something else. The way he moves, the way he, he controls the ball, the way he knows the game is just phenomenal. Um, so it's very difficult to, for me to actually explain how good he is. I've never seen anything like the guy. He's yeah. just a di- different... different. He's a, He takes it to a, a totally different level. Yeah.
2: feel bad about this because we've talked a lot about a high point in, in your career. But obviously there's been some tough... Stages along along the way as well. Could you talk a little bit about some of the challenges in terms of difficult decisions, like when to move clubs, or overcoming injuries, or that or that sort of thing, a little bit? Right.
0: Yeah, um, a lot of people think football is all rosy and it's all good, but probably most of the time it's all bad. Um, <laughs> but but and that's the truth. Um, but when the good is good, nothing comes close to it. It's um, better than anything you can experience because it's something you've done since you've probably been in that piece is kicking a ball. When you win or when something's going your way, there's nothing to come close to it. it is, it's is—it's like a drug that is the best feeling in the world when things are going right for you when, you, when you're when playing football. Um, but, you know, as I say, it's it's bad more often than good. It's just the way it goes. And yes, I've had my fair share of bad things but they happen for a reason certain things are out of my control certain things they are in my control and you know I just haven't executed it right or I've been injured and had to play or whatever Um, and nobody knows that but it's just life you just got to kind of put a brave face on and you just get on with it and you, you you take it on the chin but yeah I've battled relegation and it's not pretty and things haven't gone our ways sometimes. That can be different things, whether it's been down to the club itself, down to management, down to us as players or whatever. But, as I say, you learn a lot from all of that. And sometimes when things are bad, you learn more about yourself and learn more about the game. Because when things are good, you don't learn, really. Because there's nothing to learn from. So, yeah, I've had my fair share of, of, of bad things, whether it's injuries, mistakes, relegation, whatever. But also, you flip the coin, and I've had some great times as well. Um, that's just the name of the game. Whether it's football, whether it's boxing, whether it's rugby, whatever sport you do, you're gonna get it.
1: Um, you, t- you mentioned some of the things like relegation stuff there, um, and I, it's interesting to me all the like social media aspect of things, particularly. Do you? Is that something you monitor? Because I mean, I've like, for example, that's how we got in contact. But so I'm absolutely delighted that you have it. But um, is it is it something that you try to monitor? How much you look at it and how much you take anything from it?
0: Yeah, I don't really care. Really, um, I think that goes with age, I suppose. I mean, it, you know, people from back home they 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 follow you um, and they have got an interest in how you're doing and different things. Um, and it's nice to kind of. Yeah. Let people know how you're doing and, and, and what you're up to and different things like that. But yeah, there's keyboard keyboard warriors out there that are gonna tell you you this or that or whatever, but they've probably never kicked a ball in their lives. Yeah. Um so what are you gonna do? Are you gonna listen to that? Or are you gonna believe in what you believed in for well I've been a I've been a, a professional footballer now since I'm sixteen. Yeah. Um so you know, it's a long time I've been in this game. So, are you going to listen to someone who's, as I say, who's who's going to write something on your Twitter or whatever that has no um, experience in the game at all? It's just probably just a just a fuck who's trying to get into your head. So, yeah, I'll, it's it's tough for, for, for players. I'm um, lucky. Um, I, I don't really get too too much, but I'm sure if you get a bigger fish in this game. You 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 probably get a lot.
2: I wanted to ask um, a bit about your painting and one the sort of role that plays for you as a footballer, but but also just your interest in that. And obviously, there's a there's an exhibit in um, Anglesey at the minute, isn't there? Oh, I know some of your of some of your work.
0: Yeah. So I've always had an interest in um, in art ever since I'm a, a little boy. It's just something I've just. Uh, that I do after after kind of football. I always want to keep my head occupied by trying to recover in a way because obviously from day to day we're training. Most most afternoons we're off. A lot of the lads, they've got an interest in golf, or PlayStation, Xbox, whatever. Um, but for me, I prefer just to get the guitar out or the, or the my brushes and canvas out. And, and um, that's my kind of escape from my day to day job in a way. As you say, I've got my exhibition at, at the minute in North Wales, in Anglesey, and um, half of that is from the Euros, and the other half is from the, the working yeah. industry in Wales, the slate uh, quarrying oh my that my da- my granddad was. I personally haven't been there yet, but uh, it's very hard for me to be there as, as I'm here in the States.
1: Yeah. Ta- talking about you being in the States, what is it that kind of attracted you to to moving to, to Indiana and and also were there were there any other offers on the table at the time and or you just fancied something totally different?
0: So how it all happened was Inverness got relegated from the Scottish Premiership a year ago. And, and because we were relegated with BT and Sky and different things, unfortunately, that uh, plays a big part into the you know, in, in how the club pay people and the financial side of running a football club. And because I was there and one of the oldest ones, they asked me if I could leave to to free some some money. Really. Um, and I said, of course I will, uh, because you know um, you don't want to see anyone struggling, or or, or even the word str- struggle. You don't want to hear that, really, yeah. um, because everyone's trying to survive. So I said to them, "I'll, I'll, I'll move. It's not a problem. The only problem I have, I've got my ambition and my dream, and that is to play abroad. Because I've always wondered what it's like to uh, experience football in, you know, in a different country. Whether it was in the states or whether it's somewhere where I'm going to have to pick up a different language. It didn't, but it didn't matter." My experience with Wales played a big part in this because every time I'd go away, I'd experience something different, whether we were in Israel or whether we were in Andorra or whether we were in France, and that was a big part. And I, I, I experienced, obviously, with Chris Coleman, his staff and his vision on, on different things and what he believed in. I really, really, really enjoyed that, the science and, and his method and what Ryland did. I wanted to be in a club that kind of had that type of environment and I knew in America and know this is quite big because it's big in like the NFL and I know it's big in basketball and stuff like that so I kind of made my homework about like how it would be uh, how would football be in the states the only my only problem was I couldn't move until January because obviously the, the both the seasons the American season and the European season they don't run run alongside each other Yeah. Um, so that was difficult so I had to stay in Inverness for a couple of months before actually signing for Indy 11 on loan um, and that's why I came here I came on loan so I would free a bit of money for Inverness um, and get me off the wage bill I could follow my dream and, and experience the culture out here in Indiana travel the states um, play the game and you know, um, because it is different here. Yeah? It's less physical, but it's very quick, very athletic, as you can imagine. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's been good. I'm really enjoying my time here. I've been here maybe four, or five months, whatever now. And you know what? The sun is shining <laughs> every day, and it's warmer than in Vanessa <laughs> it's, it's a summer league. I don't think you when you get a knock or whatever. I'm pretty sure you recover quicker because you're in and out of the swimming pool yeah. um, and the sun is on your back um, so your body warm all the time. When you train, you're warm. You, you don't have to do uh, a half an hour warm-up to get yourself going and get your body to the right temperature to prevent yourself from getting injured. Um, you're not playing a game on a cold, windy, icy night. <laughs> not that I didn't like that. I, I didn't mind it at all. It was part of uh, the experience. I enjoy it. Um, it's it's what I am. Um, I'd go and play football any night if it was snowing or whatever. <laughs> it didn't really matter. But it is nice that I, I'm experiencing something different to my time in Inverness, where you know I'm in the Highlands. It's colder and the winter is it's rough. Um, so yeah, my time here has been good so far. We're doing quite well in the league. We, we, been doing picked up some good results of late um, and hopefully that will continue but as I say I'm on loan here until the end of the season which is kind of uh, end of November time Uh, and then we'll see how we go from there but the main thing for me is that I'm experiencing something that I really wanted you know when my time is done in in football I can look back and say "I, I played in England I played in Scotland and I played in America
2: what are you finding the, the biggest challenge or the biggest difference, either on the field or, or more privately?
0: Well, there's a lot of differences, but, but the game is still the same. So <laughs> one, of the, one of the craziest things, you'll go to a, an airport or whatever to fly to a game, and um, everyone will ask you, are you a college team? Or <laughs> are you this, are you that? And you're like, do I look like a college guy? You know, I'm 31. <laughs> but it's just... Uh, Football here is growing, uh, and it's a good thing. It is really growing, but it's still very much the same. Um, I touched on how, how the game is here. It's very athletic, very quick. And again, I'm working with a manager from Scotland who is really current and is very ambitious, and it's really nice. And I'm learning as much as I can, because I don't think you ever stop learning in this game. And if you do, I think it's time for you to... Hang your boots up because this this game is you know you're constantly going to learn different things and pick up different things along the way, whether it's on the field or off it and you know and the recovering side or the of the stuff you'll you, you can do in the gym to to improve yourself, but yeah, I'm really enjoying my time here
1: speaking of ambition there is is one of your reasons or not one of your reasons necessarily, but is are you is, some, is something you want to try and do again, get back into the whale setup
0: of course I mean. Like I said from day one, all I wanted to do was to put the Wales jersey on. If Wales came and asked me to go there, I'd swim, swim there now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, like I've done for the for the number of years I have done, I've just uh, been been uh, on the bench, you know. It's when when Wales comes calling, I'll do anything for my country because it's everything I ever wanted to do was just to represent my country, and if I can do that again, then then. That's all
1: I ever want. i have interest? have you heard from Ryan Giggs?
0: No, no, I haven't. I've heard from a couple of the staff, but no, I have not heard from Ryan Giggs.
1: No. Just taking one more step by back, something I'm, I'm really interested in asking you, you talk about being the, being the, the third-choice goalkeeper there. Um, I, I heard that while you were away in the Euros that Chris Coleman spoke to the players one-on-one and, and it kind of explained what their role was before the tournament start before the tournament started, sorry. Is you know is that is that what happened with you and what did he say to you? Just
0: trying to think back. You know, we had individual meetings with the staff constantly from day to day. Um, but it was all about tactics or who we're playing against and different things like that. Chris Coleman's a very good man-manager. He's a really good man-manager. I think he knew where Wales had been in the past, with other managers, because um, some of the most of the players had experienced that as well, and he knew exactly where he wanted to go. So he knew he kind of wanted to keep. It's hard for me to say, really, but he wanted to keep it, uh, the balance straight in a way. What he would always say is, "If you perform for me, then that's all I ask." Chris Coleman would never actually say, "I want you to win. You've got to win." He wouldn't. I, I don't think he would ever say that. All he'd say is, if you perform like you can, then everything will take care of itself. And that was one of the key things he said about the, just before the Russia game. He said, because I think we were a little bit... After the England game, we were all flat. Of course, because we lost, and the, the way we lost in the dying seconds of that game. But he was disappointed in the way, I think, where we didn't play like we had done in the past. And he just wanted to go out, you know, whatever was to happen during that Russia game, whether we would win, lose, or draw, whatever. Whether we were on the next flight home, he just wanted the players to play like we had done, to go out there, get the ball from Wayne, turn and get at them, and, and play them, you know, play because the, the the way he wanted us to play, you've got to you've got to have a bit of a bit of balls really, because um, you've got to be brave on the ball. Um, and playing from the back the way Wales did and the way they do, um, especially when all that pressure is on your shoulders, because you know after that ninety minutes you can be going home or you can be staying in France for a couple of days longer. Yeah. He said after that game, well before that game in the dressing room, and I remember he said, "Go out then, enjoy it, boys, and do us a favour and and uh, just play like you like we know we can play in a way, and if yeah. you do that." You know he he was happy. You know he would be happy. Not only the boys did that. I remember with 15 minutes to go, the Russia boys they were walking. They had enough. They wanted the whistle to go. They couldn't wait for the ref to blow the whistle at, at, at the end of the game. Yeah. Um. It couldn't come quick enough for them because Wales had played exactly how we had played in the campaign leading up to the Euros, like we had done the first game, and we absolutely destroyed Russia. And it was like. The lads went out there that game without the pressure and was kinda like, you know what? Whatever happens, happens. You're just gonna give it a good go. You know, in no time it was 3-0 for us.
1: My last question about the Euros, and I've said that, that's almost certainly gonna be a lie. Um, <laughs> is <laughs> the 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 Belgium game. I remember the 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 story of someone, I think it was it Alan Ramsay got a gel thrown at the side of his head or something like that. And that kind of everyone said that kind of broke the tension and 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 stuff, in what was obviously such a massive game. Yeah, could you really feel like how tense everyone was and around the place, or was there that feeling of we are having a good game, we are doing well, um, we you know we're going to go on and do something here.
0: We knew, we knew we could get something from the game because we'd played Belgium before a couple of times and we had done well. They'd never beaten us. So and I think it was the World Cup campaign, wasn't it? When we had a uh, one-one, yeah, or was it nil-nil? So we played them there, we played them at home and away, and yeah, we beat them at home and we drew again uh, at their place. And obviously, that's where we got that song from, that techno one,
1: the uh, uh, Zombie Nation. Uh, the Zombie
0: Nation, that one. That was a good one.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> all the memories coming. It's all flooding back to me now. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we knew we could beat them. But obviously, Belgium were favourite to win the competition. The game started, obviously, when a goal down. Hell of a goal. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I don't think two goalkeepers would have saved that, the way he <laughs> struck that. And then, Ash, the skipper, pops up. <laughs> what a fantastic leader and a, and a person. He is just an unbelievable player. He, uh, he He's a rock for us. So calm, but yet so aggressive. Just a fantastic player a really fantastic player that really knows again his role as a captain and as a player and how to manage boys and he's got a really really well, he did have a really really good relationship with Chris Coleman and the staff yeah. and who better than him to score that one to put us back back level back in the game and after that I think I gave us the, the spirit to go on and to get the other two but that in itself, that was just the dream. That game, I remember watching that. I had the best seat in the house, and um, just before Sam Brooks goes on out, he was sitting next to me. Um, I remember, I remember saying to him, "Go on, Sam, you know, go and get one or something." Two minutes later, Chris call, uh, Chris Gunter goes down the line. We all remember Chris Coleman saying, "Don't cross that ball <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, along those lines." <laughs> And um, Guns Cross uh, puts the boy, he puts it in the uh, in the box and there's Sam between two of the two of the Belgium lads and he puts it in. Phenomenal goal. And it's like unbelievable. It's all coming back to me. And it's it, it's so difficult to put it into, into words how it felt. And I remember the boy celebrating. They were all running to the bench, you know, to celebrate with us. And I was like, oh, there's one from Ash goal we're all celebrating together there's another one and then the icing and the cake then to make it three yeah I, you know an unbelievable goal again and just to uh to wales to go through with three-one to the semi-final you know i you, you, you couldn't write that script but um it was it was it was phenomenal
1: um i realized when i said that that it was never going to be true that wasn't going to be my last question about the euros <laughs> yeah of course <cool. laughs> you know <laughs> what we
0: could speak about the euros Hours and hours, so many questions and so many things we could talk about.
1: <laughs> I will, pro- I'll, I'll try and make this my last word because he, you've got things to do. But how how big a miss do you think Ramsey was on that? And and how how was he after after obviously but, you know the final whistle? Do, do you know what? Um Aaron Ramsey when he played
0: as a number ten next to Bale, so we we had two number 10, false, false number ten in a way, uh, Bale and. And Rambo, yeah. and that's how, that was our formation. And, and the way we set out to play was to try and get the balls into the number 10 because we had two very, very dangerous players playing for us and we were, you know, in the best positions on the pitch, really the ones that can score goals um, in Bale and Rambo. He, he had a phenomenal tournament, didn't he? Um, yeah, unbelievable. He, he turned up with his beach blonde hair. <laughs> And he really just was magical, wasn't he? You know, he was—he really was like a, a magician. The way he can de- turn on a ball, the way he, 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 the way he just, the way he moves, the way he plays, everything about him is just phenomenal. The way he finds pockets to get into and and everything else. So he was a big blow for us in the semi-final, and so was Ben Davis. But you know, because they had such an amazing campaign. Um, both of them, not just in the Euros, but leading up to the Euros as well. They were just massive players for us uh, because everything came started with Wayne, went through Ben Davis or, or or anyone that played in the back. And obviously, we missed him. Uh, and Rambo as well. But um, who knows whether if they would have played, things would have been different. Who knows? But, you know, the boys that played, you know, they were... Again, they were... Fantastic, and again, they had you know, a hell of a lot of experience going in. James Collins, he's played so many, you know, 50 times for Wales, and um, such a fantastic player. Um, and I think it was Dave Edwards that came in for um, Rambo, was it? Yeah. I, th- I think so. Um, and you know what Dave's been like when he goes in, he plays with his heart on his sleeve and he gives it everything. And he's a, he, he, every time he, he's been on... Um, what, what a, a player he's been for Wales Absolutely. when he's been called upon um, a really really good player who works his socks off every single game but you know it wasn't to be that game Portugal won in the semi-finals but you know what yes it would have been nice to beat them and be in the final but at the end of the day we we were still in a bubble that we had made it to the semi-final I think all of us, us as players and us as fans yeah it was just a An incredible time, an incredible experience. Something everyone will never forget.
2: But I want to ask about your future plans,
0: because obviously Uh, you're getting
2: to a point in your career. I'm sure you're starting to think about what comes next.
0: Oh, absolutely. I don't really know. Um, Obviously, I I enjoy I enjoy my art. You know, that's something that I've got a a passion in, in. Painting and different things like that, um, and obviously my other passion is football. Um, so if I could do something kind of that still involves being involved somehow in football, I don't I don't know what I can tell you, but if it's something because it's, it's such a big part of my life, something
1: I've,
0: uh, you know, when you're a professional football football takes over your life. A lot of people laugh and joke uh, with, with us about oh you only work two hours a day or whatever. Well, yeah, we actually might be only in. Two three four hours a day whatever but actually it's it's everything because it's down to everything you eat what you wear where you go when you go when you sleep everything what you drink it's it's everything to do with your, with your life and um so i I don't really know what I actually will do once once my time's done in this game but um it would be nice to kind of do something in the game whether it's Full-time is a different story because it takes a, a big chunk of your life uh, because you've got to sacrifice a hell of a lot in this game to make it. Um, because, you know, the funny thing is I'm in the uh, in America now and back home, every single boy pretty much, they all want to play football and they all want to be footballers. But you some, some people are, are, are good enough, but they don't make it because they... They, they, they're not um willing enough or they don't sacrifice what's what's what you have to sacrifice or some are just unlucky um but yeah it's it's tough to make it but um you know if you're lucky enough and i've been certainly been lucky enough to live my dream yeah i don't know i don't actually know but it would be nice to, to be involved somehow in football
1: um, my last question is... This is nothing to do <laughs> with the Euros, <laughs> I many, promise. How many
2: times have you said that? In my defence, I just
1: said it wouldn't be my last question about the Euros. I promise. <laughs> no, to it's ha- all right. This is no, my no last one, no I promise. Well. It's just about you making making your debut for Wales, because obviously being in Wales squads for, for since 2009, I think I've got here, through to actually getting on the pitch for the first time. What you know, You've talked about being a Wales fan and wanting to wear the Wales shirt for your whole life. Can you describe what it was like for for, to, for you to get on in that friendly against Holland?
0: Obviously, probably the best thing. It's, it's it's the best feeling in the world for me, isn't it? You know, when I when I actually went on the pitch and and got my cap. But, and because I had been in the squad for so long, I was, you know, fairly comfortable with the boys and, and everyone else. Maybe it helped. You know, I, I, only, I know I was only on the pitch, for a you know, not for long or anything, but um, because I had been involved for so long, I think, you know, how can I say it? I don't know, it's weird. Um, But it was just a, a special time for me personally and for my, you know, family, my whole family. You know, ever since, like, I'm going back now to the time where Manu picked me up and I was going there as a young boy to train every school holiday. Well, for me to keep up with those boys, that what I knew, to be at the, at the same level as them. I had to train on, you know, by myself at home uh, on the school field with my father and my brothers to keep up with them. So every single day after school, I'd run home, get something down my neck, put my, my um, football gear on and off I'd go to the field to train. Not just shots on goal or whatever, proper train, proper session, cones out, the lot out, just like I'm doing now with my father and my brothers and stuff like that. And if things weren't right, my dad would, would uh, tell me off and, and tell me it wasn't good enough. You know, when it's coming from your dad, it's difficult. But um, all he was doing was, he was moulding me in a way to get me ready to, if I was lucky enough to be picked up when I was 16 by a, a football club, then I was ready for it. Because, yeah, you're going to get told off or someone's going to tell you in the fans that you're not very good. Or as you were saying, someone's going to put on Twitter you're not very good or whatever. So he was just putting this in my head straight away that it's not all going to be good. You know, you're going to come across different types of hurdles. You're going to come you know, overcome. And what we were doing there in that school pitch with my father my brothers were were everything to do with actually that moment in Cardiff when I came on against Holland. Um, All that hard work. What I was doing on that school pitch was getting me prepared for that, um, those few minutes I had on the pitch. All I did was work towards that. All I ever wanted was the cap for Wales, to put that Welsh shirt on, the seniors. I'd done it for the youth teams, but to do it for the seniors was everything to me and my family. Um, it means so much. Um, so that, uh, along with being in the Euros, that's uh, those two moments are um, the best moments of my life.
1: I think that's a really lovely thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Thank you so much. No, no no problem. Just to let you know here, I know you haven't got the video, but that's really touch-proof <laughs> and she has now got a tear in her eye. <laughs> yeah. So when we put the phone down, I'm going to have to deal with this, so thanks a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. Um, I, you know, I, I've just been training. I've not really thought about any other questions or whatever, but when you ask me the questions, they, the, the, before I speak, all of, it's like a video being played in my head and they're all coming back to me drips and drabs, you know, different times of my career with Wales or whatever and it's all coming back and it's quite it's very emotional to have seen where the national team started and where we you know, to go all the way to the semi-final of the European Championship and to see everything, because I was just a fan, you know, growing up I, I, I'd put my red shirt on and I'd go to the games to Millennium Stadium or whatever um, and watch the games so in a way, I've just been, you know, if I wasn't if I wasn't uh, a member of the team, of the squad or whatever, I'd just be singing. I'd have my bucket hat on. I'd have my <laughs> shirt on. I'd have a pint, probably. <laughs> and I'd be with my brothers or whatever, you know. I'd be there as a fan. But to do it as a player, um, yeah. You know what? There's no price you can put on that. Um, it's just, I, I remember actually saying to my family after the Euros, if that's me done in football now, I don't care. I really don't care because I've I've just been given the world here because I've just seen my country and I've been involved in something like that. I've experienced something like that firsthand. I've lived with these lads for six, seven weeks, whatever, and I've gone through everything. So all the plans Chris Coleman and Oshan Edwards and Kid, Kid Simons and, 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 and all the staff had... had uh, laid out for the lads, everything was in place leading up to the games. And to see all the plans coming into play during the game and how it planned out, it was just phenomenal. Like Just to see how it all comes together and works out, it's just incredible it was. Yeah, a, f- a phenomenal time. And, and as I say, if that would have been the the end of my time in football, then I would have been happy
1: well that's brilliant uh, i am sort of lost my words a bit myself now
2: yeah yeah i mean it's, it's Dave and I spent an inordinate amount of time talking about that summer and <laughs> um, Welsh football in general um, and it's it's actually yeah. you know, a real privilege to to have your version of uh, well both your career but that summer in particular and we're very grateful for that
0: no any time anytime
1: no we really anytime I really time. appreciate it it's fantastic when we think about it from our perspective like it's emotional enough anyway but you know to hear everything that's gone on along around us is just been like Ruth said genuinely been a privilege so thank you very much no thank
0: you honestly thank you Anytime.
1: so there it was our interview with Owen Vaughan Williams Ruth I think has only just stopped crying
2: I know I got quite
1: emotional didn't I <laughs> um, what an incredibly nice man yeah I expected that. I don't know what I expected, but I, I didn't expect it to last as long as, as it did. I, you know, he was so generous with his time and the stories he told. And we asked him, we told him at least five times that this was going to be the last question, and and it wasn't. And he happily kept talking to us and never wanted to stop. Um, that was amazing.
2: Yeah, I just love his enthusiasm for what he's for what he's doing, and and also the honesty. You know. It's, it's, very, um, very clear about the sacrifices he and his family have had to make and, the, and how he's worked through that and, and you know, continues to love what he's doing. And I think there must be plenty of soccer players who've battled for so long that... I said soccer, didn't
1: I? I'm going to edit that.
2: <laughs> sure, there are plenty of footballers who've battled through that and get to a point where they can be quite cynical about what they're doing. But he clearly just loves playing football
1: and we're glad he does so thank you Owen Vaughan Williams for for that interview it really was a brilliant hour and a half that we spent chatting away about different things uh, football and otherwise thank you very much for listening we do have some more interviews lined up Owen was the first one we're not going to release the names of the other two just yet in some pathetic attempt at suspense <laughs> and to keep you hanging on Um, But please do follow us on Twitter at Coleman's underscore dream. Please uh, please do subscribe to this podcast either on SoundCloud or iTunes so that you can get updates from every time we do a podcast. And I realise that no one has reviewed our podcast on uh, iTunes yet. So in a totally spur-of-the-moment circumstance, if you give us a five-star review on iTunes as well as giving us a positive review, Anyone who does that in the first week of this podcast release, we will put all those names into a hat, pull out a winner, and the winner gets a Spirit of 58 prize. I can already feel Ruth staring into the back of my head as I've said that. Um, But please do subscribe. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Owen, and we will see you for our next interview. We don't know when. Soon. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Goodbye.